Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. Welcome back. It's Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat. Episode 6. Episode 6. I'm half of your hosting duo, Joe Daxberger. And I'm the lesser half, Ryan Miller. Oh, Millsy, you're <laughs> top dog in my book. <laughs> well, that's the only book that matters to me, so that's good. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Millsy. Yeah. We're back in action. Mm-hmm. Last episode, you could almost say it was in action. Yeah, a little bit. you know, the news. Dramas. The medias. Mm-hmm. Characters talking to one another. I mean, we're only six episodes in, but it's safe to say this is probably our most extreme change from one week or one episode to the next. <laughs> probably, yeah. Because I don't think um, there was a single monkey, ape, or simian in any of last week's or last episode's movies. Accurate. This time, all three. Hmm. Milsey, tell the people what they're in store for. Well, this episode is titled Monkey Business. Not our most uh, clever title yet, but it does oh. the trick. I mean, it, it's clearly on point. <laughs> True. Um, this episode, I hadn't thought about it beforehand, really should have had something to do with gorillas in the title, because all three of these films feature gorillas. We are going Gorillas to are talking... not monkeys? No. Well, uh, are they? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's some kind of distinction, like how dolphins are mammals and not fish, and there okay. are certain monkeys that aren't monkeys. I'm pretty sure that mm. the, the gorillas are among the great ape family, and I don't think that apes and monkeys are the same thing. Oh, Jesus. But this We've ain't ruined no, it. This ain't no fancy schmancy science podcast. This is a movie podcast. No. Yeah. That's why I we're going to be talking about classics. Congo, mm-hmm. the Mighty Joe Young remake, mm-hmm. and the King Kong remake from 2005. Tell him. Preach <laughs> it. Um, Never a more fantastic trio has there been. No, sir. Have you seen... what? Which of these movies have you seen before? I have seen Congo mm-hmm. and King Kong. Same here. Uh, never saw Mighty Joe Young. It was but a blip on my radar. Very much so. Uh, before watching it for the show, I couldn't have even told you that it starred Bill Paxton and Charlize Theron, which seems crazy to me that I didn't know that. I agree that it was a Disney flick. Not that I was expecting like another King Kong, mm-hmm. but I just wasn't expecting a family picture either. I don't know if it was exactly a family film either beforehand. I really didn't know a whole lot about it at all. That's the short, long and short of it. Yeah. Which, you know. Kind of when we put our uh, triplicates together here, we tend to, or at least, well, I shouldn't say ten. For the most part, there's always like one movie maybe I've seen that gets the ball rolling to be like, what can I pair with these? Yeah. It's you know? it's not a rule that there has to be like 
one that we've seen or one that we haven't seen. Sure. It when coming up with a list, you know, if there's three movies that just like sound perfect together and I've seen them all, then mm-hmm. I'll throw it out there anyway. It doesn't really matter. But yeah. um I do like these instances where it's like, oh, there's maybe a movie that I really like, uh, another one that's thematically relevant and then that I've also seen and then like let's try and find one I've never seen before just to to mix mm-hmm, it up. Mm-hmm. Um, we were just talking before we started recording. This being the sixth episode, we have now watched 18 films for the show so far. And of all of those, there was on, there's only been five that I w- watched for the first time for this podcast. And I believe right. you said nine, nine for you. Nine, so I'm half halfway. Yeah, there's even a couple episodes somewhere out there in the ether to potentially get recorded someday that I haven't seen any of the uh, the films on the list. Mm-hmm. So I'm very much looking forward to eventually getting to one of those. But Yeah, which is saying a lot for MoviePass's number one customer. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've seen a lot of movies, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of movies I haven't seen. Yeah, there's always more. Yeah, and that's that's the problem. That's the, the vicious cycle mm-hmm. <laughs> and the uh, the bottomless pit that I've fallen down that I just can't stop. Well, just keep falling, baby. Yeah. <laughs> You're not helping now, matters it, any. Let me ask you a question. Uh-huh. Do you have a fear of gorillas, giant or otherwise? In general, no. Like, if I was face-to-face okay. with one, absolutely, because those sons of bitches are powerhouses. Right. And uh, I don't know. I get mixed mixed feelings from... Like watching these movies and it's like, you know, Congo. I, I don't know how accurate everything is um, as far as mm. like the portrayal of gorillas. And I know that there's like fake, you know, sci-fi gorillas in that one, for example. Sure. But um, I always had the impression that gorillas were like very violent and mm-hmm. like would attack a person like on a dime. I guess from what some of the, you know... Um, intellectuals within the films, <laughs> which may or may not right. be represented properly. Um, sure. That's not the case. But, you know, simple fact of the matter is grill is fucking scary if you're right yeah. up in its grill. Now, I would say this is based on no science. Yes. So don't As with me. all things on this show. Yeah. Um, this is triple threat theater, not triple threat science, as we've already said. <laughs> it seems to me like gorillas are gentle giants unless provoked Mm -hmm. going with that i really ask if you're afraid of gorillas because i find as in my later years i've just heard like horror stories not about gorillas but like maniac chimpanzees that mutilate people got her face ripped off or whatever exactly her face both her hands everything yeah well, correct That's me if like I'm a wrong. legitimate fear. In that case, and probably most of these cases that you hear about, those are uh, apes or monkeys that are in captivity. And mm-hmm. again, like I don't know if I can trust this information because it comes from a fucking movie. But <laughs> um, in Congo, they mention because uh, the the main gorilla, Amy, the one that can talk, um, mm-hmm. uh, she's in captivity. They mention that uh, a- uh, apes in captivity. Uh, something about like there's eventually like a degradation of their psyche because of yep. like being in captivity or whatever. And mm-hmm. that they, I think they specifically say that they can become like depressed and reserved. But mm-hmm. I don't know if like for a certain monkey that could 
be the opposite and that could make them more crazed or something. Or maybe, you know, maybe that woman who got her face ripped off was making fun of the monkey behind his back. I don't know. Any number of things are possible. I mean, just to uh, long story shortish, I was, I think even if I, let's not say I came face to face with King Kong, say a 20 foot, 25 foot gorilla. (laughs) Uh I'm going to be afraid. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But like, that's almost something like if I'm in the jungle and I'm staring that down, I'm part of me right now would think like I could evade that somehow if I'm lucky Mm. versus like Planet of the Apes, just a bunch of (laughs) intelligent monkeys. Yeah, that (laughs) is much more scary, much more terrifying to me. Yeah, I mean, I know that sounds ludicrous, but I feel like any animal that I meet in the wild, regardless of what it is, for the most part, I'm Mm -hmm. immediately on edge. And it's not like sure. not just a scary animal. Like, you know, I live out in the middle of nowhere in the country. I've had plenty of experience with, say, cows. Mm-hmm. But I feel like if I found myself like alone in the wilderness with a cow, I would still be like, I'm going to keep my distance from you because we we don't have any reason to be getting in each other's way. True. I mean, that's a good point. Or like, also- you know, cats. I love cats. But, you know, you sure. run into a random cat you don't know on the street. You don't mm-hmm. know what the hell's yeah. going on with that cat. I mean, like, random animal interaction I had, I went to Aruba years back, and I didn't want to go near the ostriches at the ostrich farm, because I just didn't trust them. Yeah. But well, they also look like dinosaurs, and, <laughs> you know, they're, they're creepy eight-foot birds, so. Yeah, I mean, they also look like they could do some damage. But I even know yeah. that, like, you know, uh, geese, for some reason, are, like, mm-hmm. very violent and will, you know, pinch the shit out of you with their beaks, so. Really? Yeah. Uh, just another thing you learn living in the middle of nowhere mm. where I do, where you have a lot more opportunity to have an interaction <laughs> with a wild animal. Ryan Miller, geese enemy. <laughs> That's the thing. I think everybody is the enemy of the geese, but. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> then again, maybe yep. there's something more deep seated in me because I did create a comic book about a murderous bird. Mm-hmm. So, I mean. You and Waterfowl go way back. <laughs> yeah, true. So we won't confirm or deny if there is a chimpanzee episode yeah, coming up with Triple Threat Theory. I could not, but, and I would not do that. Right. But for the sake of that argument, that could possibly be a more terrifying scenario to me than just big gorillas. Will you take any animal, like, you know, like, again, like a doe-eyed cow or something, you give it intelligence, mm-hmm. immediately it's gone from just, like, doing what it has to do or even just, like, you know, surviving and doing what it has to do to survive to now it has the ability to be to scheme, <laughs> you know? So <laughs> that immediately that immediately makes any animal <laughs> scarier. And, again, I, I think do. that's something that I've, you know, attempted to touch on in small ways in the two issues of Mangol I've managed oh, to churn man. out over the past uh, better part of a decade. I do love that if animals were bestowed upon human intelligence, <laughs> you don't don't think for a second that they would be they would come to us with uh, happy and loving thoughts. It was that they would scheme against us immediately. <laughs> well, I'm not just saying like every every animal, but like, you know, if you take the average, if you take a hundred random people some of them mm-hmm. are going to be very nice, straightforward people, but every now and then you're going to get a psychopath, and you get a schemer. Yeah, and I mean, I can, 
I mean, I'm I'm no FBI analyst, but I feel like I can read the average person's face and tell if they mean me harm or not. But with an animal, once it's got intelligence, mm. I don't fucking know. <laughs> I've never seen a cow try and hide its intentions from me. At least I don't think I have. Maybe they're really good at it. They've been doing it all along. How do we know they haven't had intelligence all along? We really don't. Oh, man. The science episode's getting out of hand. <laughs> yeah, we probably ought to steer clear of this peculiar topic yeah. and get into something yeah. we know a little more okay. about. All right, well, we'll come back to scheming cows later. <laughs> Maybe, in a future episode. If we can How- find three movies about killer cows, we will do it. Deal. All right. All right, how do we want to tackle tonight? Uh, I mean, I feel like the trend is chronological order of release. So, you know, by all means, start us off. That would make our first film of the evening, Congo. See? I'm buckling my seatbelt. See, Amy? We're all buckling our seatbelts. You can do it. Go on. Yeah, that's it. Good girl. Here's an egg. (coughs) Amy, we do not throw things. That animal dangerous. Humans are dangerous. Gorillas are very gentle. So you think the gorilla may be dangerous? Maybe so. Don't perpetuate a myth. What myth? The King Kong myth, the myth of the killer ape. Well, are you so certain there aren't some kind of gorillas that kill? Oh, please, doctor, you can't be serious. It's your area of expertise. Folk singing? Communications technology. So you're a geek with a cellular phone. I'm a scientist. But you and your protege, as far as I can see, belong in the circus. Released in 1995, directed by Frank Marshall, uh, and based off of a 1980 novel written by Michael Crichton, Mm -hmm. writer of Jurassic Park, Westworld, and others. Indeed. Um, I don't think I saw this in the theater... But this is, and I don't think we owned the VHS. We might have like recorded this, like rented it from the library and taped a copy ourselves or mm-hmm. something. But I definitely, I hadn't seen this in a good long while. Um, but I definitely watched this like five or six times in my yeah. youth. Me for sure. I can, um, I don't know if it's come up before on the show, but I'm a big fan of just like exploration movies going all the way back to like Indiana Jones is like one of my favorite trilogies i mean it's my you know one of my favorite characters like i've been watching indian jones since they come out you know i feel mm-hmm. like my you know my parents were into them and i've always watched them i just love you know any like uh hidden building in a jungle or uh, <laughs> you know it, it, anything that gives me some of that exploring uh lost tribes and ancient civilizations yeah. and that kind of thing i mean i've you know i've always loved tomb raider games um, I know I'm going to love the Uncharted's when I finally play those. <laughs> oh, you saying all this about loving this kind of genre. I can't, it's like, you, I can't believe you haven't played those. I know. You better wear a I fucking diaper the... when you do, because you're going to lose control of your bowels when you play that I'm... game. It's so good. But I do, in fact, like, I just love that kind of, that genre. Well, uh, in doing a little reading, cause I knew in the back of my head from reading something in the past that, uh. Michael Crichton's book is different from the movie, and I don't think he's too mm-hmm. keen on the film because of that. Um, yeah. That the original book was like an homage that he wrote to classic adventure yarns, uh, specifically yes. the thing that I read. He cited uh, King Solomon's Mines, mm-hmm. which I did. I mean, which is cool. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did a le- research as well and come to find out, I mean, again, this is like Wikipedia research and I'd read a couple interviews actually, but it was, a uh, it was optioned for a movie before he made the book. Yeah. And it was in like development hell for a while, but like his kind of main intent was one thing I read said that he wrote it like kind of specifically for Sean Connery. Mm-hmm. Uh, to and for it to have like an Alan Quarterman character for him to play, yeah, and then Sean Connery eventually goes on to play Alan Quartermain right. in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, <laughs> right? And it didn't like really pan out. I think it kind of sat in development hell, and then he wrote the book. I don't know what the differences were, but um, and then someone came on and like rewrote the screenplay. And it's almost like just like the book. From what I read, it's almost it's only the book like in title only, and the kind of uh, adventurer character. So I don't I don't want to get I don't want to get too deep into this because we were talking about the book or the movie and not the book. But um, mm. I did read a synopsis of the book just okay. to see, and honestly, it wasn't that different from the movie. Oh, like okay. there's some characters that aren't in there, like the Tim Curry character isn't there, and mm-hmm. um. Like so, the movie, um, it brings together all of these characters from like different facets of life and kind of throws them together. So you've got uh, Laura Linney's character, who is a former CIA agent, and now she's like some kind of tech guru person for this big communications company, and she is sent on this mission to find these diamonds and. The reason that all the other characters get roped into it is because she's basically looking for a way to sneak into the country without anyone knowing her true intentions. And so she hitches a ride along with um, uh, Dylan Walsh's character, who is a like a, a research scientist who's working with uh, Amy, the, the talking ape in the movie. Mm-hmm. And, she knows um, sign language. Yeah, and so, like, she meets him that way so that she can go with him to the jungle. And then Tim Curry's character is, like, another, you know, he's looking for a way to get down there, too, and find this, like, lost city. And he uses Dylan Walsh's character and Amy, the ape. And, like, all the characters kind of come together like that. But I guess the book is simpler. Um, They just decide to bring... Uh, the Dylan Walsh character, the scientist, Peter Elliott, and the ape along. Um, I, I don't 100% know why, but then like Tim Curry's not in there. Some of the other characters aren't in there. But oh, it's the okay. same basic thing where they're going and they're trying to find these diamonds. Now, in the movie, they do say that the diamonds are meant to be used for um, like some kind of satellite communication, which mm-hmm. I guess they say involves lasers, and that just equals, hey, it's an action movie, so we're actually going to fire lasers out of this diamond, right. which feels very James Bond. So the very laser much. thing isn't in the book, but largely everything else, like the whole mm-hmm. idea about um, the white monkeys or the white apes and the fact that they were trained by this tribe to protect these diamonds, like all that is there, even down oh. to the fact that at the end they like there's a like a volcanic eruption and they escape on a hot air balloon. Like all of that is there. It's just like it sounds like the it seems like the movie, the guy who wrote it just like cheesed it up a lot. Uh, okay. Which I guess is where Michael Crichton's issues lie, but um what I what I read, what I just the thing I read was like a quote from him saying when the producers came back and like asked them what he thought about the book. He's like, "Oh, I like the name." 
<laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, yeah. This is the guy who wrote the movie? Yeah. Wow. So, and I, I didn't look further, but I must have just got the impression that they, they uh, got rid of a lot of it. But Yeah. Well, maybe not. So anyway. I, I mean, it sounds pretty similar. Just, you know, kind of surface level changes that don't really affect the whole major plot of the, the mm-hmm. book anyway. I mean, the synopsis I read was like six paragraphs, so there may yeah. be some more specific things that changed, but... Well, d- digging right into the movie, mm-hmm. I'm going to say this about Congo. Yeah. And actually all three movies. Uh, star-studded cast. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about like at the time, the, the climate in 95 or whatever, how popular people were, but looking back, I mean... Laura Linney's been in a ton of movies. Mm-hmm. I think that this was pretty early film-wise for her. She had, I believe, already won some Emmys for TV stuff. Oh, okay. But, um, yeah, I think this was pretty early as far as movies for her. Well, so you got her. You got Dylan Walsh, who I know from, like, Nip Tuck on TV. But I don't See, know I had to look was. him up. I had no idea who he was. This is, yeah, like, the only I'm... thing I knew him from. And it really does feel like Nip Tuck, which came years after this movie, mm-hmm. was like the thing that anybody would know him for if you're a right. normal human being. But then you got Tim Curry. Mm-hmm. You got uh, Winston Zedmore. Yeah. <laughs> but again, he's Ernie one H- where like, you know, star studded, we would say that because, you know, we're nerds and sure. Ghostbusters. G- genre film nerds. Yeah, and you're like, a fan yeah. of the, like a big fan of The Crow, and I know him from that too. But like, honestly... Yeah. It's tough to name stuff that he's in outside of those movies in Congo. Like, I could have told you those ones off the top of my head. That's, I mean, that's true. But even, like, I think, like, a cultural zeitgeist like uh, Ghostbusters. Sure, like, sure. Is going to make enough people and be like, oh, yeah, he's mm-hmm. a Ghostbuster. So at least we got He's that the Ghostbuster that people don't know from anything else, I, I feel right. like. But No, for uh-huh. sure. I mean, that you know. movie made him. That's why he still goes to conventions wearing his mm-hmm. uniform and signs <laughs> autographs for 40 bucks and takes pictures with people. Yeah. Hey, man. Got to get paid. Yeah. Um, what's it going to Joe Pantaleono. Yeah, in a small role. I feel like he might have been kind of unknown at the time. Yeah. Because um, he's not. He's only in the one scene, really. So, yeah. you know. That was unexpected. Um, well, you've got um, another guy who I wouldn't know until years later, and I always butcher his name when I try and say it. Adewale Akinoye oh, Agbaje, who yeah. played Mr. Echo that, on Lost. I was, I was just going to say Mr. Echo, yeah. so good on you, because that sounded good to me. <laughs> um, Bruce Campbell in a tiny role in the beginning yep. of the movie, yep. which is like the one piece of trivia I've always known about this film. But mm-hmm. um, I feel like this is... Like potentially the biggest, most prestigious film he's ever been in. Is there anything like he's obviously a huge cult icon and he's been in a ton of stuff? Um, but uh, I mean, I mean, he was in the three Sam Raimi Spider Mans, but as, sure, like, small cameos. Well, I mean, he's just as he's probably in those more than he is in this, honestly. But right, yeah, I, I hadn't taken that into account. But like outside of Sam Raimi stuff, let's say, yeah, outside of that, I mean, it's this. It, it feels this, this feels like a weird like entry into his filmography, even though it is a tiny part. I love seeing him in there. Um, sure. And that face that he makes when he's holding the eyeball oh. in his hand is yeah. great. That that final scream of his. Yeah. I actually Perfect. wondered this time watching it, is that him actually screaming or not? But, hmm. I mean, I know he can scream from watching Evil Dead movies, but... Mm-hmm. 
Um, Let's just we'll assume yes and hope so that it's a yes. Yeah, even if it's not like quote unquote star studded, there are a lot of recognizable people in this movie. In, yeah. in addition to the ones we named, there's Joe Don Baker, who plays like the old guy, and well, he's not even that mm. old, but he's in charge of the communications company that Laura Lenny works for. Yep. He's Bruce Campbell's dad, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you would know him potentially from Goldeneye, which I feel like is one of his most well-known things. Oh, okay, um, he's also the uh, private detective in the remake of Cape Fear by Martin Scorsese. Mm, okay. um, his big starring role, I feel, is Walking Tall, the original. Oh, really? I've never seen that one. Yeah, where he played, uh, oh, what's his name? Something Pusser, Buford Pusser is his name. He's like a traveling wrestler who decides to settle down in this town, and then he fights corruption with a big stick. Um, but then honestly, like he's one of those that guy actors I always recognize. But he mm-hmm. took on a whole new life for me when I got into the show MST3K in a big way, like ten years ago. Because mm-hmm. uh, he pops up in a couple of movies they've done, and he's the lead character in a movie called Mitchell and another movie called Final Justice, and they just love to rip him a new one. Like for, mm. it's weird. He's in stuff like Goldeneye. He's in actually three James Bond movies as two different characters across the three of them, yes. and he's in Cape Fear and like some other big movies. And he's like kind of well respected as a character actor, but then at the same time, if you look at his filmography, he has made some utter garbage. It's mm. it's almost like he walks in two different worlds. He's like fucking Blade or something. <laughs> but Buford Puss, the Daywalker. <laughs> he's always been a an interesting case to me. And then uh, another one for me that he's always stood out just visually and like the couple of movies I've seen him in is a guy named Grant Heslov. Mm. He plays uh, Dylan Walsh's like kind of skittish buddy oh oh god yeah the darker skinned guy with the curly hair sure who i've always known from three things mainly this Mm -hmm. because he's just he's got a look and just like his wide eyes and his like nervous attitude yeah he fits a a role yeah sure um true lies kind of a small part Mm-hmm. And then uh, the Birdcage, which is a comedy that I've always loved, and he has a very small part mm-hmm. in that where he just plays like a a paparazzi. Mm. But um, I, he's always been one of those that guy actors for me. And like looking him up just to remind myself, like what else do I know him from? It's there's not a whole lot, but the fascinating thing about him that I found is that he is known more as a producer and a director now. And he, oh, I, wow. I, he. I don't know if he like is part of a production company with uh, George Clooney, but pretty much any movie George Clooney has been a part of in the last 10 years, he's been a producer on. Really? Like all the stuff he's directed and stuff. Yeah. It's, and he like, he, this guy, Grant Heslov directed that movie, men who stare at goats, mm-hmm. but just fascinating things I discover huh. while I'm doing research for this podcast. <laughs> wow. Um, I mean, certainly fits the, uh, that guy actor. So, yeah, I mean, when I say star-studded, I mean, there's just plenty of people you know. Yeah, tons of recognizable faces. One for me, too, I don't know if you you should recognize him, is Delroy Lindo. Yeah. I've known him, I feel like going way back, because he's, like, in some Spike Lee joints that I like. Mm -hmm. I know he's Um, in Malcolm X. He's in Malcolm X. He's in Clockers, which I don't know if you've ever seen. Never seen that. Which is uh, probably, like, my favorite Spike Lee movie. Really? Yeah, it's really good. Um, I'm going to have to do a Spike Lee episode. 
I'm just going down the, because uh, he's been in a ton of stuff. He was in, well, people would know him. He was the detective in Gone 60 Seconds with uh, Nick Cage. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's in Ransom, Romeo Must Die. Uh, Saw that in the yeah. theater. Yeah. Yeah, he's just, just in, tons of, of those people I, in this movie. He's another one, of course. Yeah. So I was, uh, great to see him. He's in one scene. Mm-hmm. Um, he yells at Tim Curry to... First stop eat his eating. cake and then stop eating his cake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, I'll just, ju- I'll jump right to it. Congo, the movie, is bonkers. Oh, yeah. It's nuts. And th- it's nuts. And, you know, I kind of love it for that. Me too. I, 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 think, I think this I think, movie is a lot of fun. It it falls into a camp of, like, kind of bad but also oddly enjoyable, like mm-hmm. sort of blockbustery type of movies from the nineties. Yes, and I mean it. I feel like this was on the heels of Jurassic Park, like trying to capture that same audience, but it's kind of the mm-hmm. redheaded stepchild of that sort of subgenre. Yeah, but other movies like um, like the nineties Godzilla movie, um, the American Godzilla film. Yep. Um, you know, not a good movie, but something that I remember being like a big deal at the time. And I still have like a bit of nostalgia for, even though watching it recently, it is not very good. Mm. But even stuff like Starship Troopers and Independence Day, like the big blockbusters, Men in Black, stuff like that from the 90s. This feels like it's just riding on the tip of their coattails to me. Like it belongs there, but pe- mm-hmm. most people don't look back on it as fondly. <laughs> no, I think... um it's just obscure enough that it missed like a lot of people's radar. Mm-hmm. It is like hot on the heels of Jurassic Park. Some research I did basically says that it got bankrolled when it did because of Jurassic that Park. That makes sense because this came out in 95 and Jurassic Park was what, like 93-ish? 90, 93. And this had been in development hell for like 15 years up until that point. Yeah, so it was probably Jurassic Park comes out. It's a massive smash hit. And then all the studios were like, what rights do we have that are Michael Crichton? Yeah. And they were just that's like, it. fuck it. Get this made. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it was. It's not an amazing film, but I really enjoyed this movie. It just keeps you entertained and in it the whole time. Mm-hmm. It's never boring. It does have that kind of jungle adventure element, and there's just constantly stuff going on. Like, if they're not in the mm-hmm. middle of, like, a civil war, um, yep. then they're being, like, attacked by hippos, or they're discovering right. bodies in the jungle, and there's always a mystery to it. And it's juggling mm-hmm. so many things. It's not just, like, two people on a mission having to come mm-hmm. up with conversations to have all the time. You right. have just people from all walks of life, be it the big businesswoman played by Laura Linney, or like the meek, you know, scientist guys played by Dylan Walsh and Grant Heslov, and then like the eccentric loony bird played by Tim Curry, and like mm-hmm. the headstrong tough guy played by Ernie Hudson. And then With the you most just... wild accent Ernie <laughs> Hudson's ever had. Yeah, some kind of weird like, it's it's almost like a British, but like a, a dignified, like... yeah. Yeah, it's, it's 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 kind of British when it wants to be. It's almost it just gives the air of like he he belongs in like high society or something, but he decides mm-hmm. to live in the jungle. Yeah, which is like it's one it's one of it's one of those movies where you're like you have to get ready. It's like you have to embrace the craziness early on, mm-hmm. and I think that's what helps you enjoy it because it's like yeah, like you said, I mean, there's explosions on the runways and. 
fucking people firing RPGs and like heat seeking yeah. missiles at their plane and yeah. And then in the Lee. middle of all of it, there's a fucking talking gorilla. <laughs> like yeah. I can't believe we haven't touched yeah. on that more, but like that is one oh, of the will. major memorable things about this is Amy, the the gorilla who does sign language, and they give her this like backpack with a, a electronic glove attached to it, and then. Mm-hmm completely unrealistically because she's just waving her arms in random ways yeah. and it's it's saying oh. things yeah so you've got i mean amy the gorilla which is um it's a perfectly fine gorilla suit for someone to wear yeah um she's got the power glove in her backpack <laughs> yeah she's doing hitting the sign language she's she's drinking wine she's smoking cigars <laughs> yeah they're I mean, constantly they feeding her pills and bananas oh forget it they're, they're drugging her the whole time um, Milsey, mm-hmm. you would be glad to hear that Triple Threat Theater yep. now now has a technical advisor. Oh? Yes, my sweet girlfriend, Megan, uh-huh. knows sign language. Oh. So next time you see her, I'll make sure she uh, signs the song, Girls Just Want to Have Fun, <laughs> okay. for you, because she, she knows the whole thing. Wow. I am impressed. In her sign language class, that was like the end project was to like sign a whole song. Uh huh. So she knows her stuff. Now she watched Congo with me. <laughs> okay. God, why isn't <laughs> she on the show? <laughs> uh, I tried. I tried. Uh, I'm paraphrasing here, mm-hmm. but young Megan basically said that gorilla's sign language is dog shit. Yeah, I mean it. Well, sign language. <laughs> Some of it involves like hand symbols and stuff, yeah. and the gorilla is just basically either waving her arm to the left or the right or up or down. Yeah, that's all it is. Because she just like she laughed, which made me laugh, of course, when she said that. Yeah, because that's all it is. It's like uh, a left or an up, up. But it's just so funny because like she's got like that little kid voice built into the backpack. Mm-hmm. It just the stuff she says is kind of hilarious. Like that ugly monkey or ugly gorilla or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, the thing just had me dying. And well, <laughs> then once she's they start smoking cigars and, like you said, doing drugs and drinking wine, it's just like <laughs> I don't. And I've seen this enough when I was a kid, but I don't remember a ton of it. Mm-hmm. Like I remembered, uh, like mutant gorillas, lasers, the jungle. Mm-hmm. Of course, as I'm watching it, I start to remember everything. Because even beforehand, I was like, oh yeah, the monkey with the sign language. Forgot about that. <laughs> But I feel like I this time around I enjoyed it a lot more for like other reasons. Yeah, I mean, thinking back on the movie, the things that stand out are Amy the talking gorilla. There's like white gorillas that they fight in like a temple, and there's like laser fire. Like those are the things mm-hmm. I really remember. But I know I looked at the time and I can't remember exactly, but I want to say there's only like forty minutes left in the movie by the time they find like the approximate area where the temple is like the whole movie, like what Michael Crichton said about like him wanting it to be a throwback to something like King Solomon's mines. I've seen the, one of the film adaptations of that story and they do find King Solomon's mines, but if it's like a two hour movie, they find it at like the hour and 40 minute mark. And it really is about the journey rather than the destination. And Mm -hmm. I didn't remember that, but this is very much that it like takes its time and it doesn't rush to get to the ending. And then the ending isn't even as big as I remember. Like, there's a little confrontation with the gorillas outside. Then there's one inside. The laser gets fired, like, three times. Right. 
I even forgot about like the the nighttime campsite with the drone guns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had forgotten thing, about cool. that too. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's not a ton of lasering going on. But that's fine because really yeah. the movie, like while it may not be the most mind-blowing movie or like great high art or something, it mm-hmm. is extremely entertaining. Yes. I just think the characters are all so larger than life and everyone's playing it a little bit tongue in cheek and there's constantly uh comedic relief. Um and I it just has this like constant like moving and shaking kind of tone to it. Like it's just never mm-hmm. boring, which I feel yeah. like is a problem with a lot of big blockbusters these days, like Transformers or something. Where, you know, you got the special effects and you potentially have, like, big stars and, like, awesome action scenes and stuff. But then in between, it's just, like, bogged down and a lot of exposition and plot and, like, poorly done character development. Whereas in this Mm -hmm. movie, it's just, it's constantly on the move. And it's not super long, isn't it? Like an hour and 40 minutes or something? Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't hit two hours. So you're, you're in and you're out. And it's not like a two and a half hour epic, like one of the Transformers films, for example. Mm-hmm. I Yeah, I honestly, I always have liked this movie, but revisiting it and reevaluating it now, I really like this movie. I think yeah, it's a lot of fun. It was, it was definitely one going in. I was like, uh, you know, again, I don't remember too much of it, but I really liked it when I was younger. Will I like it now? And I was like presently surprised. Yeah. But I feel like the average person, if you say the movie Congo to them, if they don't go, what the hell is that movie? Then their mm-hmm. reaction will generally be negative. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And I mean, give me another like two years to kind of forget all about what happens in the movie again. And I may fall into that bandwagon as well. But in general, I've never like no one's ever said the word Congo. And I thought like that movie sucks. Like I've always liked it, thought it was fine. But yeah. I, I actually have a pretty big like amount of respect for it at this moment yeah, in time. Me too. Um, and it's kind of like that sweet spot of like pre big computer effects. So there's yeah. like still guys in monkey suits and big sets being built mm-hmm. and, you know, a giant animatronic hippo in a water <laughs> yeah. tank. Like all, as people should know by now on the show, like all things I love oh, absolutely. and you love. And there's some stuff that doesn't look so hot, like, uh, the the scene where which is a cool scene but it looks a little weird when they're uh, firing the flares out the window to distract the heat seeking missiles mm, mm-hmm. um like the compositing there looks pretty bad but yeah. i mean within the context of the scene like it doesn't really draw like it draws me out of the reality of the scene but i still like what's happening so much that i don't care sure which is i feel like where the disconnect is between people like you and i and then per- perhaps the average moviegoer who would just look at that and see it doesn't look real, so it's bad. Right. Yeah, I'd agree. Not to say we're better than everybody else, but that's no, why we're better than take... everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, we can fully appreciate the 1995 classic Congo. Congo. For what it is. Um, let me say real quick, too. Um, I got this from the library. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you got it, but Congo has a fantastic movie poster which one the one with like the close-up gorilla face with like the matrix yeah all the text on it on top Mm -hmm. you're mixing science and nature man yeah i mean it's downright ridiculous it fit somehow fits the movie but if you just saw that you'd be like 
what am I looking at exactly? <laughs> yeah. So that was right on my DVD case from the library. I was very happy. I feel like that. that's the perfect, like, you could do that with most Michael Crichton books turned movies. Like, if you took a T-Rex face and just covered half of its face with, like, genetic code <laughs> stuff, like, that would work yeah. fine as a movie poster for that. Or if you took yeah. Westworld and you just had, like, Yule Brenner's face close up and then a bunch of, like, Matrix code along the side, that would work perfectly, too. Oh, man. Now we have to make a series of Michael Crichton posters. <laughs> I'm in. We'll, we'll, we'll sell the rights to Mondo and we'll get rich <laughs> off of hipsters who want movie posters. Mm-hmm. Um, well, before we dwell on this too long, you want to hop on to our next film? Because I do yeah. feel like I could keep talking about Congo. I know. We're, we're pretty high up in the, the uh, show count time already, but uh, yeah, let's go on. All right. So second film, the one that neither you nor I had seen before, Mighty Joe Young from 1998. Mm-hmm. Harry. You know what? That never happened before. That, it was weird, wasn't it? The way Put that, that girl in charge of the gorilla. Elliot, she has no scientific training. That ape is the best fundraising tool this conservancy has ever had. He's happy. I'm happy. So you really think that she's going to be able to... Put know? her on the payroll, Harry. Okay. Did you see that? Did you see <laughs> I that? Saw, I He's saw. playing hide and seek with him. It's great. Oh, my God. You're right, he likes it here. Oh my god, on his second day, he's playing. He likes it here. <laughs> you got it bad. What are you talking about? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Usually you are out the door as soon as the animal's in his habitat. You have a very active imagination. <laughs> I don't think so. Oh, I think so. No, I don't think so. I think Mr. World Traveler has goo-goo eyes for the gorilla girl. <laughs> uh, directed by Ron Underwood. Does that name ring a bell to you? It does. Uh, I knew him for one thing and one thing only, which is as the director of Tremors. Yes. I, was, I, I drew a blank, but I knew I had checked already, and I was like, oh, it's that guy. Yes, Tremors. Yeah, he'd also done City Slickers and a couple other things, including The Adventures of Pluto Nash, which is unfortunate. Ooh. But wow. um, I mean, the guy directed Tremors, so he will always get a free pass in my mind. Always. I mean, Tremors, possibly one of the movies I've seen the most in life, period. Yeah, maybe, maybe here as well. I mean, I remember back in the early 90s when that movie was like playing on TV all the time. Mm-hmm. I, I might have even mentioned this on the show before. Um, I had a friend growing up who was also named Ryan, and we both loved monster movies. And whenever that or Aliens would play on television, we would call one another and let each other know, like, hey, Tremors is on. Like, check nice. out this channel. Nice. But um, Yeah. I feel like me and my brother, Dennis, we'd watch Tremors every day for <laughs> months. Yeah. Several times throughout childhood. Something I haven't watched every day for months. Mighty Joe Young. Mm. Um, so, yeah, like I mentioned earlier on the show had no idea who was even in this so when i pop it on and it's fucking bill paxton and shirley's there and i was like okay now we're cooking with gas yeah and again like quote unquote star studded cast now there weren't as many people in this one that i i mean i no. recognized a lot of people but like the bad guy again i'm gonna butcher this name there's an awful lot of symbols above the letters here but <laughs> raid or rade Serbed serbezia and as soon as he showed up, I went, God damn it. It's that sneaky fucking Russian <laughs> yeah. snatch. He's the Russian Boris bad guy in a lot blade. of stuff. 
Um, yeah. He has a very long list of credits. A lot of them are foreign films before he started doing films in America. But mm-hmm. some of the names you may recognize, and some of these are bit parts, but he's been in Eyes Wide Shut, Mission Impossible 2, Batman Begins, X-Men First Class, and I think he was the main villain in Taken 2. I think he was like the father of the guy that Liam Neeson went after and killed in the mm-hmm. first one, and that's why he was after him and taken too. I mean, he'll always be Boris the Blade to me. <laughs> snatch, but um, I was I was excited to see him. So yeah, again, like just again the quote unquote star stud cast, just p- plenty of pe- bit players popping up that you know from other things. Well, so. going back to Lost, uh, Naveen Andrews who played Saeed in Lost yep, is in this. Saeed was there. Regina King, who was like one of the scientists. Right. She's been in a thousand movies. Mm-hmm. Um, now, here's one for me that I don't know if it's going to resonate from anything for you is David Pamer. Uh, is that the head of the conservation? Yeah. The guy that ends up like helping them get yeah, Mighty Joe I Young mean, out. Another that guy actor. But like, is there anything you can immediately draw upon and say this is a thing I, I think of him from? <sighs> Because I got a big one for me that is not going to be the case for most people. Yeah, just just off the hot top of my head, no. And I'm pretty sure you still haven't seen this movie, but a favorite of mine, you'll know just when I say it, is Chill Factor. Oh, And right. Chill Factor is a movie that is about a substance that will explode if it gets above a certain temperature, so you have to keep it cold. It's basically speed with temperature instead of velocity. <laughs> And the scientist that creates the uh, the substance, which they call Elvis, it's like its code name, is David Pamer. He plays the scientist who creates it, who befriends Skeet Ulrich's character. I'm not even going to go into it. but uh, <laughs> <laughs> It's the best movie ever made. It's That's one of my favorites about. and nobody else. Um, but, yeah, so I, I like when I saw him, I was like, oh, shit. It's the guy who admits Elvis. <laughs> yes. But yeah, I've seen him in a couple other things, but that's the big one for me. All right, all right. But uh, something right off the bat. Um, so, basic premise behind uh, Mighty Joe Young, at least this version, because this is a remake of a movie from the forties, uh-huh. um, is that uh, Shirley Theron, when she was a young girl, her mother was like working with the apes, um, and so she was living in the jungle with like the local people and. Uh, basically living in like a shack in the in the jungle and um her mother is killed in the process of trying to save the apes from a poacher who is the bad guy and then um Charlie's Theron stays in the jungle after her mother dies and she grows up kind of following in her mother's footsteps and there was also an ape that was orphaned in this attack and so she grows up alongside him and i don't think they ever say why but inexplicably this ape that she grows up friends with grows to be 12 fucking feet tall. Right. I mean, when, when he's a baby ape, they do say that he's like real big for his age and smart. But again, they don't give you any reason why. I just found it fascinating that they never explained it. Yeah. Yeah. It just, like, for just example, happened. like in, uh, in, in King Kong, the, the version that we watched, the 2005 Peter Jackson film, like he's a huge ape. And you see that there are other giant things on the island, such as like giant bugs. So you can just uh-huh. go ahead and assume there's something in the ecosystem there or something. But this is one ape that just happens to be huge for no real good reason. Yeah. And I don't really mind that they don't explain it. I was just a little surprised they didn't. Uh-huh. 
But um, anyway, like, so setup of the movie is that um, there's these poachers who find out about uh, Mighty Joe Young, and they want to capture him or kill him because, like, look what a fucking prize that would be. And um, Bill Paxton is, like, a nice, friendly, um, eco-friendly guy who comes along. and He's like, hey, if you keep Joe here, then he, you know, it's not going to end well for him. Like, I know you want to keep him in his jungle home, but the best thing for him would be to come with me. I know some people at a conservatory in the United States, and they will keep him safe there. And so she begrudgingly decides to take Joe with Bill Paxton to the U.S., and that's where the story goes. Mm -hmm. But the thing that I was a little surprised by right at the beginning, because I more so know Charlize Theron as, like, a a star now, and this was an early movie for her, Mm -hmm. is... um, you know, she's her character is like a little girl in the opening when her mom dies, and then it says twelve years later. And I was thinking to myself, like, twelve years and now she's Charlie's Theron? Like the girl was maybe only like seven years old in the beginning. So I'm like, is she only like nineteen or twenty? And then I looked it up and Charlie's Theron was twenty or twenty one when she yeah. made this movie. Yeah. Which surprised I, the shit out of me. <laughs> I saw the same thing and I was like very surprised. I was like I don't remember looking to see what she had before that, but it seems, you know, she was super young. Yeah, so she was born in, I believe, 75. And, mm-hmm. um, I mean, it's this movie came out in 98, so it's been 20 years since this movie came out. And she doesn't look that much older. No. <laughs> I mean, aside from, like, you know, her hairstyle and her, like, horribly trimmed eyebrows like scream mm-hmm. 90s yeah, that like early yeah that mid 90s like late 90s early 2000s look that she has mm-hmm. but outside of that like the actual physical appearance based on like style of the time she looks pretty much the same yeah definitely so that was surprising and, you know, to me is this our first appearance of bill paxton on the, on the uh, show pretty sure okay cuz i'm sure he comes up again oh, cuz he's the it's man bound to happen but yeah, I um I was surprised to see him in there, and of course immediately delighted. Like once he pops oh, up course. in the the beginning of the movie, since I hadn't seen this, I wasn't sure where I was going to fall. But I was immediately like, okay, I'm I'm game. Let's do this. Yeah, Millsy, I gotta say, uh huh, was very impressed with the effects in this movie. So was I. For 1998 Disney flick, I don't know what I was expecting. But it wasn't anything nearly as good as this movie actually looks. Yeah, it's one of those cases where when they do like close-ups of the face, like you can tell it's not real, it's animatronic or whatever, but it's still very Mm -hmm. good. But like the wide shots and like the action and stuff Mm -hmm. was extremely impressive through most of the movie. I'll say that at the end, it began to fall apart and look a little more fake to me when there was like tons of action in the end Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it's like giant ape interacting with like modern day city and stuff like that but through two-thirds or more of this movie i was really amazed when there's a scene of like bill paxton trying to capture him Mm -hmm. and he's like running through those open fields and beating up those jeeps and everything it looks awesome yeah i was i was blown away and i watched on the um the version that I watched, there was a. I got this from the library, and there was like a little, like, shitty three minute featurette or something. And mm-hmm. so they didn't really go into it. But they insinuate that, um, like, obviously a lot of it, or not obviously because it looks so good, but a lot of it is guy in suit. 
But then apparently for some of the real action moments, like what you're talking about, where Joe is just like full on running and you're just getting mm-hmm. these like shots alongside him as he's running. Apparently some of that stuff was CG, which I find yeah. hard to believe because it so still I. looks so good. Yeah. So I did some little research. So they had a couple of full size animatronics for when he's like sitting down. Mm-hmm. Or he's like kind of prone. Yeah. Where they, like there was some like close ups with Charlie's and him, and he was full size, but not he wasn't he was stationary. Yeah. Besides like his head and maybe some other. Like at the stuff. end when he's laying on the ground and you think he might be dead, and she's like laying on right. top of him. Exactly. And then they did uh, a suit with an actor inside, remote controlled head, and then they just uh, they did a mini- made miniature sets, which is always awesome. Yeah. And then they did like mocap with a chimpanzee, I believe, for like running stuff, mm-hmm. which was still CG though. I just and can't it looks believe so good. I can't believe how good it looks because um, this might be reaching a little here. But do you have any idea what year um, Monsters Incorporated came out? No, uh, two thousand. It was relatively early um, Toy Story. I know that, or uh, relatively early Pixar. I know that Toy Story came out in ninety five. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was probably early 2000s, but I remember the big deal about that movie, or one of the big deals being the hair, like the natural hair flow technology that they used for Sully in that movie, mm-hmm. and that was like a big deal for like the the CG progression in that film. Mm-hmm. And so this, I'm I'm fairly positive, predates that. And I don't know how yeah. they made it look so good with CG, because you go back uh, and like Jurassic Park still looks really good. But you can start to tell nowadays, like that the the smoothness of like the joints on the dinosaurs and stuff looks kind of fake. Yeah, and maybe it's only that it's like, you know, short sequences of the full CG, and it's usually like he's full on running or something. But mm-hmm. I'm the same. I was very surprised. Yeah, uh, Monsters Inc. was 2001. Okay, so this has got three years on it. Yeah. Um, interesting fact too. Um, in research for Congo, they. You know, uh, Jurassic Park's success was a push for Congo to get made. Mm -hmm. And some people involved were, like, planning on CGI gorillas because of how everything looked so good with Jurassic Park. Yeah. But they ended up scrapping it because CG couldn't handle the hair at the time. Well, there you go. So there you go. (laughs) Um, And it does, like, going back briefly to Congo, it does feel like they put a lot of effort into Amy herself. But then, Mm -hmm. admittedly, those white gorillas... um, sometimes did not look so hot and now they were like uh, limited in the face facial action for sure yeah and a lot of the like actual action with them was either shown really close up or like that first encounter they have with them where they did that weird like motion blur effect which kind yeah. of annoyed me <laughs> but very much so oddly enough they do that same or very similar effect at times in King Kong, the Peter Jackson version we're going to talk about in a minute, but it felt more mm-hmm. thematically relevant there, where in Congo it felt like they were trying to cover up bad yeah. uh, bad costumes and stuff. This was also um, so Rick Baker, uh, makeup artist mm-hmm. uh, extraordinaire. This was his final gorilla suit he would make. <laughs> really? Yeah. He, he kind of like didn't, didn't want to do them anymore. Did he do the 70s King Kong? He did. Okay. So he had been like known for that, but like wanted to get away from it. He did, uh, uh, what else he did? He, you know, he's, he's known for like thriller and like Harry and the Hendersons. Oh, so, yeah. you know, 
He's all kind of, you know, King Kong remake, of course. Funny to think that you could make a career out of just doing gorilla costumes. Yeah, well, I mean, he's he's done tons of stuff, but yeah, those were big ones. Yeah. Like, he was the one to talk to. But um, yeah, I guess this was like the final, the one last one they could convince him to do. Yeah. But um, speaking again of the effects, uh, so Congo uh, came out, was like, critics hated it. But it did surprisingly well in the box office. I want to say it made like 150 million or something, which for mid 90s was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie came out. I don't think it was a big smash hit with the critics, and it also didn't perform super well. But it was nominated for best visual effects. Yeah, it lost um, to What Dreams May Come, which at the time mm-hmm. I can understand, but looking back on it now, yeah, I watched that movie a couple years ago when um, Robin Williams died. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, God, the effects in that are ugly now. Oh, are they? See, I've only seen it once years ago. And remember, like, having that, like, vivid idea of, like, how good that looked. Mm-hmm. It's probably best I don't see it again. It was a cool idea, you know, in that afterlife that they portrayed. Everything looked like mm-hmm. a painting. And as you, like, walked through, like, like, as you brushed by plants, like, they moved, like, liquid paint, even though they were, like, mm-hmm. a physical thing. And stuff would smear as you moved by it and all. Very cool idea. And I imagine it must have knocked people on their asses back in 1998. But mm-hmm. uh, watching yeah. it recently, like, this Mighty Joe Young stuff holds up way better oh, than What Dreams May Come. It's a, it's kind of amazing. And then I'm watching it and I'm like, am I crazy? Like, does this look as good as I think it does? Like, I'm enjoying the movie. Like, I like Joe. Like, I think they gave him, like, a good character. Mm-hmm. You know, like, a good personality. You know, I'm like, I'm having a good time, and I'm just like, is, is it make sense that this movie looks as good as it does? <laughs> like, these effects? like does Well, it, it was a I'm Disney not... production. It was probably yeah. a semi-big deal for them, so there's money there. Yeah, 90 million production <sighs> budget. Yeah, I think it only made like 50 mil back 50. or something. It did, so it was a bust. But, um, but... I, I, like, something I can say for this one, I was in it the whole time. Um, and, you know, even more so because I'd never seen it before. So, you know, it was that first time watch Curiosity and not knowing what was going to happen next and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, whereas I was saying Congo, just constantly there's things happening and it's always moving. This movie wasn't necessarily boring, but it did feel a little light in the plot department for me. Yeah. You know, it was in, it was enjoyable, but it was kind of very paint by numbers with this kind yeah. of story. Not like Giant Ape, but just like, you know someone befriending an animal and trying to protect mm-hmm. it. And somebody yeah. wants that animal and, you know, it had like a it's free kinda, willy vibe. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. It had like that kind of like middling, like second act mm-hmm. where it was just like spinning, spinning a lot of plates, I guess it once. Yeah. And like thinking back on it, like I just watched it a couple of days ago. Like I can't even, how long is this movie? Another one that's like an hour and 40 or something. Um... Not super long. Like I'm, I'm th- having trouble even thinking of all the scenes that would have filled up that time, right? Because they get out of the jungle pretty early in the movie. It happens a lot faster mm-hmm. than I was expecting, and then all of a sudden Joe is in the conservatory, and it doesn't feel like he's there super long. And then the climax happens, right? But there's just like uh, some calamity that happens in the the second act during the, you know, where he's like getting adjusted to the thing mm-hmm. and then there's like the romantic aspect is happening at the same time with uh charlie's and bill paxton and then then the poachers show up and try to you know agitate him mm-hmm. like all that stuff happens and then the the climax itself um you know like 
again, citing King Kong, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, you know, in that movie, he's protecting um, Anne Darrow, the Naomi Watts character, mm-hmm. because he's got like this love fascination with her, which is built up throughout the movie. And, you know, there's that for the Charlize Theron character in uh, Mighty Joe Young. But like at the end, it feels a little disingenuous when the kid is trapped on the burning Ferris wheel and Mighty Joe Young just decides I'm going to go save him. Mm hmm. Because you never fully get the impression that he has, like, a love for mankind as much as he's just got a special connection with Charlize yeah. Theron. I mean, they, you get the impression, like, he's smart. Mm-hmm. But, like, how smart is he to know to, like, climb a Ferris wheel to save a kid? Sure. Yeah, and, like, he doesn't want to outwardly just hurt people because there's, like, the part where he's bearing down on that car full of, like, four attractive young women out on the town. Mm-hmm. And instead mm-hmm. of, like smashing through it or something he picks it up and moves it to the side yeah but like simultaneously when he gets pissed off and goes into a rage he will just like smash through a room full of innocent people and like injure a bunch of people at that like that fancy Mm -hmm. dinner Mm -hmm. but yeah just like I, i saw it coming at the end and the minute that the mom like they took the time to focus on a mom putting her kid on the ferris wheel by himself of course you yeah. knew what was going to happen, but it definitely felt a little out of the blue. And then, like, you know, the he, he did save the kid, but he's still, like, a giant gorilla. And then just everyone immediately gathering around, like, in love with him. Like, mm-hmm. even at the end of King Kong, like, everybody's there gathered around and they're curious. Because, yeah. like, look, it's this thing. But they're not all, like, crying because he yeah. saved someone. or Right. But it's, like, in real life, if somehow... The giant gorilla saved the kid in the Ferris wheel and then fell. As soon as they got that kid free, you know, SWAT team was going to be over there pumping him full of lead. <laughs> yeah, you know? absolutely. This is a Disney movie, of course, so they can't. But yeah, you're def- totally right. Yeah. So I can get by all that stuff, but it definitely gives it a little bit of a, I don't know, schmaltzy quality. Yeah. It's got that Disney, that Disney vibe right <laughs> that there. Disney stank. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you're so right. Like it's almost like I feel like you can for, you can notice these things when they happen in movies, and some people would never notice it. But it's like, oh, let let the camera pan to this mother putting this kid on a Ferris wheel, and then nothing. It's like okay, we know that's gonna come in later. Yeah, it's the classic thing. And like, if there's like a car chase in a movie, or some reason that a car is like speeding out of control, and it's mm-hmm. like just shots of the person in the car and whoever's on the other end of the walkie talkie or whatever. And there's a lot of screaming and people jumping out of the way. And then like the fast intense music stops for like five seconds and it cuts Mm -hmm. to like a mom pushing a stroller across the street. (laughs) And it's like, well, obviously they're showing us this so they can set up the cause and effect of what's going to happen. This is just like a version of that. Right. Well, I just rather see that guy hit the carriage out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that would be more, that would be crazier in my eyes. <laughs> or in this case, like, wouldn't it, it have you know. just been enough for a woman who's of the age you would expect a mother to be to scream like, my son is trapped on the Ferris wheel? Like, yeah. did we need to see the scene where uh, it's it's yeah. a minor thing? But no, no, but you're totally right. It could have <laughs> just easily been my son's on the Ferris wheel alone. Yeah. You know, like, please, mighty Joe, save him. <laughs> right. Yeah, but now it's like, okay, I know Joe's going up to get that kid first, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, also it being a Disney movie, um, I was a little surprised at how somewhat graphic the death of the uh, the bad guy was at the end, or even oh. that he died at all. Dude, 
Mighty Joe Young flings him through that building or whatever. And into like a fucking power converter or something. I was not expecting that. No, me neither. And it was fantastic. Yes, it was. I think they really threw a person (laughs) through a building into the power line. At least a convincing dummy. (laughs) Our favorite from another 90s favorite. A convincing dummy. (laughs) It's my favorite part of the Married with Children TV show. (laughs) But uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, so overall, um, you know. I enjoyed this movie, but I don't think uh, this may sound silly to some people, but it, it's not going to stick with me the way Congo does. <laughs> it, it only sounds less crazy because I agree with you. Yeah. Like Congo, part of the joy of that movie is just how fucking insane it is. Yeah. Just the fact that they're on this like expedition in the jungle with an, a gorilla that has like a mechanical voice box pack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like, that sets that movie apart, and this feels like a safe, kind of been-there-done-that mm-hmm. version of a story we've seen a lot of times, and, just and with it, admittedly really good effects and yeah, a decent it, cast. it would be much more forgettable if it didn't look so damn good with that giant monkey. I know. But God damn. Really, the first first two-thirds of this movie were massively impressive to me mm-hmm. in the, the special effects, and the ending still looks good. Yeah. It's just... You know, in the beginning, he's usually sitting around not doing a whole lot. It's probably easier for them to pull off stuff. But then in the end, they had to rely on more. Yeah. More CG and and whatnot, probably. So happens in plenty of movies. So if we get two, two good thirds, you know, we'll take two good acts of special Mm -hmm. effects. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you know, uh, not bad. Pleasantly surprised. I'll say not a not an instant classic for me. No. Uh, which I feel like is a decent segue into our third film, seeing that it is a remake of a film that there are probably a lot of people who would say should never even be attempted to be remade. Mm-hmm. So uh, King Kong, the remake by Peter Jackson, not the first remake. So you're interested. Good. That's settled then. Now, I don't want to rush you, but we are under some time pressure. Well, I really... Anne, I'm telling you, you're perfect. Look at you. You're the saddest girl I've ever met. You're going to make them weep, Anne. You're going to break their hearts. See, that's where you're wrong, Mr. Denham. I make people laugh. That's what I do. Good luck with your picture. Anne, Mascara, please. I'm offering you money. Adventure, fame, the thrill of a lifetime, and a long sea voyage. You want to read a script? Jack Driscoll's turning in a draft as we speak. Jack Driscoll. Sure, why? Wait, you know him? No, not personally. I, I've seen his plays. What a writer, huh? And let me tell you, Anne, Jack Driscoll does not want just anyone starring in this picture. He said to me, Carl, somewhere out there is a woman born to play this role. And as soon as I saw you, I knew. Knew what? It was always going to be you. Came out in 2005, written by Jackson, Fran Walsh, and Philippa Boyens, who also did uh, Lord of the, all the Lord of the Rings stuff with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the special effects done by Weta, the same exact crew who worked on Lord of the Rings. Yep. Andy Serkis is in there. Yep. Yeah. Acting and mocap. Mm-hmm. And a little fascinating tidbit about this movie that I just learned is, um, so 
not too long ago, there was a new Blu-ray version of this that came out that was called like the Ultimate Edition or something like that. And I picked it up um, and I hadn't watched it yet. So there's a the theatrical and the extended edition. The theatrical is already over three hours, so I went with the theatrical, so I'm not sure what's in the extended edition. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of special features. One of the main reasons I bought this uh, this Blu-ray, because it's not my favorite movie in the world, is um, there's like a three-plus-hour making-of documentary, and I love oh. those Lord of the Rings making-ofs. Yep. So I was like, this has got to be good. And I haven't finished it yet, but I started watching it. And uh, th- they have some backstory about this movie, so... Uh, King Kong is allegedly Peter Jackson's favorite movie of all time. It's the movie that made him want to be like in film and mm-hmm. like do, he originally wanted to be a special effects guy and then ended up being a director. So in the nineties, when he was making the Frighteners, uh, Universal Studios came to him and said, we're planning to do two remakes. Would either of these be of interest to you? One was Creature from the Black Lagoon and the other was King Kong. And so he was immediately like, yes, I would love to do King Kong. So like he wrote a version that was very different from the one that they ended up making in 2005. Mm. And they spent like a good year or two, like 96, 97, uh, doing pre-production and doing tons of models. And there's lots of good stuff in this documentary that's worth seeing. And then the studio got cold feet and backed out and canceled the project because the year that this King Kong movie would have come out in 1998, there was already Mighty Joe Young happening mm-hmm. from Disney and Godzilla, the aforementioned American Godzilla film in 1998. So they were like, oh, another giant monkey movie and a giant monster attacking a city. Probably not a good time to release a King Kong movie oh. against those. Mm-hmm. So then it got scrapped, and almost immediately they went into production on Lord of the Rings. And then somehow it came about, like, because I guess the studio knew that Peter Jackson really wanted to do a King Kong movie. After the success of, like, the first two Lord of the Rings films, they were like, hey, the minute you're done with Lord of the Rings, we want you to do King Kong. And then that's how this movie eventually did happen. That's wild, isn't it? Yeah. I just thought it was hilarious because we were doing this for the podcast that they mentioned that Mighty Joe yeah. Young was one of the reasons this movie didn't come out in 1998. It's kind of awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's King Kong. Everyone pretty much knows the story. I would imagine a lot of people have seen this movie. Yeah. Um, where do you stand on this one in general? Um, I saw it in the theater. Uh-huh. You know, I was like, um, I mean, going way back, monster movies, you know. Love it. I mean, seeing that a, a big King Kong was coming. I'm not like the biggest Lord of the Rings fan. I mean, I like it's cool. I own the special editions. I saw them all in the theater. Um, I'm not crazy diehard, but I, I'm like a crazy diehard fan of like Peter Jackson as a person. Uh-huh. Because I just think, you know, he's one of those guys that just like loves movies. Like Guillermo del Toro just like loves, eats, breathes, sleeps movies. Mm-hmm. So I can remember being like, excited for like... His vision of it, like that was something I wanted to see. It was cool. Like, I think leading up to it, knowing it was going to be like a big CGI affair and, you know, it was going to be long and everything. Um, I remember like really liking it in the theater. Yeah. Um, I hadn't seen it in a while. This is the only of them. This is the only one I own, which I believe is because you gave me the digital code for it. From <laughs> your possible. Affirmation yeah, because I just bought that not too long ago. Yeah. And I need to watch that documentary because I haven't yet. Yeah, I'm like I said, I'm like an hour into it, and it's really good so um, far. This movie, 
watching it now, mm-hmm. it does feel like it's a lot of flash. Yeah. You know, like I like it. I mean, he, what he does is great, but it, some stuff, I mean, I could go into the things I like, but things like I disliked was, um, I don't know if it was this time, mid mid two thousands or whatever, like CG's like really popping off. But you know, like the scene, like the ridiculous scene of like the Brontosaurus stampede. Oh yes. And like all the guys are running through and it's just like the cameras follow them like while they're like running between the legs of the Brontosaurus, which is just like ridiculous. Which I get it. It's a movie about a giant gorilla on a place called Skull Island. So the whole thing's ridiculous, <laughs> but context decks yeah but there's there's a line there for me and i'm just you know i was kind of just like between that it just it didn't i you know of course i remember it looking better in 2005 than it does in 2018 as well effects wise Mm -hmm. you know i still like i like the way king kong looks and everything but it's kind of crazy when you know he he's holding on to and arrow basically the whole movie her uh, neck should be yeah. broken in uh, several places. <laughs> again, our, our technical advisor, she was watching it with me for the first time she's ever seen it. And she's like, she's like, wow, she'd be very concussed by now. <laughs> you know? So it's like, I like noticed those things more. Brief aside, if mm. uh, Megan's going to be watching all these movies with you mm-hmm. as we're doing the podcast, you got to get her on Letterboxd. The oh, whole. That, that <laughs> this I would yeah. love to see that. That would be something else. I th- I see what I can do there for you, Bills. If, if <laughs> yeah, she knows if you want to appear on the on the podcast, yeah. you got to at least do that. If she knows it's a request from you, we got a good chance. <laughs> Let um, her know it's an official request. Roger that. Um, um, again, like you know, I liked like the. I remember loving the King Kong versus the T Rex fights, but it's like that adds to the ridiculous because I was like, I forgot he's holding on to her the entire time too. You know, like yeah. This that just, I can let go. Like it is, it is when you stop and think about it for a half a second. It's like she would be completely dead. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that struck me more about the T Rex fight this time is that a lot of it isn't just literally them fighting. It's like dangling from yes. vines that we, I doubt would ever actually hold right. all that. And right. like part of me really likes that stuff because it's a lot of like, um, just like cause and effect choreographed action which is as you know something that mm-hmm. i really get off yeah. on yeah big fan but at the same time this movie i don't want to say that it's bipolar per se but it definitely feels like rather than not knowing what it wants to be it is constantly changing tone mm. and like subgenre because yeah. there are times where it's really dark and serious Uh, like the the native people scene like that like watching it there's nothing outwardly like grotesque or like you know vulgar about it but watching it you just feel creeped out and dirty because peter jackson has a background in horror and instead of just having like the the natives in congo who are just like you know wearing kind of tribal gear and have like white dust all over them Mm -hmm. like these are some kind of gross freaky i mean tribal I mean, people it's kind of like the scariest scene in the movie oh absolutely it yeah. is um but then i mean also the fucking bugs which mm. i don't remember if i've mentioned this on this show before i'm sure i've mentioned it on sidetracked but like you know i watch a lot of horror movies and stuff and one thing that's pretty easy to like you know freak me out on is eye stuff like stabbing yes. in the eye and stuff oh, like yeah. that just because that's a a thing with me but 
there are only that I can think of off the top of my head, two scenes in any movie I can think of that it's just the context of what's happening and the drawn out suspenseful nature of it like puts me on edge to where I feel physically uncomfortable. <laughs> There's only two instances of this. Mm. One is in Saving Private Ryan when uh, Homeboy mm. is getting slowly stabbed in the chest by the yes. Nazis at the end and Oppum is on the stairs and will not help. Fucking and the Oppum. Nazis just like going shh, shh, yeah. and like slowly stabbing him. Like that scene makes me physically uncomfortable mm-hmm. just because I'm so pissed off at yeah. Oppum. 100%. The other scene is uh, the death of um, Andy Serkis in this movie. Mm. It's it's not even specifically like those the slug things or whatever. It's just that feeling of like he's helpless to be yeah. slowly eaten. It's like a quicksand kind of feeling. Like yeah, and it's just like he's like all of them are being overpowered by just like these constant swarms of bugs. Yeah. And it's like in a, a moment later, um, uh, Jamie Bell, whose character has like never touched a gun before, is able oh. to use a Tommy gun, which oh, is God. a very inaccurate weapon, to accurately blast all of these bugs off of Adrian Brody's yeah. body without hurting him at all. But then meanwhile, like over here, fucking Andy Circus can't even save himself yeah. from these things. And when that one is like slowly swallowing his head, <laughs> mm-hmm. I just like the fucking hairs stand mm-hmm. up on my mm-hmm. arms. And it's just, it's not like I'm scared or disgusted. It's just a feeling of like hopeless I, yeah. tension. Just unnerved. God, that gets to me still. I wasn't sure if it was still going to this time, but it totally yeah, did. I can go, I can roll with you on that. But it's got scenes like that. And then there's like completely goofball stuff like running from the Brontos. Right. Um, and it's just constantly changing, like the kind of movie that it wants to be. Yeah, I don't dislike any of that, but I can definitely see it and comment on it. Right. But I will say that. So I saw this back when it first came out in the theater. Um, was a fan of Lord of the Rings. Um, was becoming a fan of Peter Jackson, and um, I liked it a lot. Uh, I had not seen the original King Kong at that point. I have now. And I've watched it once or twice over the years. I feel like this is a movie that I'm not sure if people overall loved it when it came out or worse, like at that time, like it's too long, yada, yada, yada. But I definitely feel like this movie is a film that has had a slow, persistent backlash over the years. Mm -hmm. And whatever claim and praise it once might have had uh, has worn off. And people, I think, largely look back on this movie as like, you know, an unnecessary chore of a movie to watch or something because it's so long i mean i i could certainly see that i mean i think that's the the, that's the vibe i feel like i get from people i will say i don't have that like Mm -hmm. i've always liked this movie uh it is long but it is another film where it feels like like between the location changes and the constant action and the good like character driven story, even between and Darrow and King Kong. Like I know a lot of people have always cited that they hate this, the ice skating scene at the end in New oh, York. Yeah. I like that. I like that scene a lot. Yeah. Um, aside from the fact that right before that, all of a sudden there is not a single other person to be seen in <laughs> right, New York right. city. And there's also no snow in the New York city streets. And then all of a sudden they walk to the park and it's like a winter wonderland with mm-hmm. a frozen lake. Mm-hmm. 
but that logic stuff aside, I've always liked that scene. And I don't know. I feel like I, I don't know why, but I give this movie a lot of free passes on the issues that people have with it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm curious actually to see like, like you said, like what people think of it now. I mean, for me watching it again, mm-hmm. like I kind of already said, like some of just like the excessive CG stuff mm-hmm. kind of like weird on me a little. There's some it op- definitely, it's funny, like it doesn't even, I don't think, hold up as well as 1998 Mighty Joe Young effects no. sometimes. But that's also because this movie is a lot more, um, it's 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 doing a lot more yeah. with the special of effects, course. a lot more CG. It's, uh, of course. I mean, it, but then too, it's like, it's all things, it's backgrounds, character, you know, it's every little bit. It is interesting, I would not have guessed this, and it might have been hyperbole to a degree, but based on a little bit that I saw of the um, that special documentary featurette on the uh, the Blu-ray that I got, Peter Jackson claims that they did more miniatures and miniature sets and stuff in this movie than they did in all three Lord of the Rings movies combined. Oh wow! Like he goes on, and same thing with uh, the the dude with the funny voice and the glasses who runs Weta uh, from the Lord of the Rings special features. Mm-hmm. Um, they both talk about, and it's, it's weird because Lord of the Rings, it's like three movies. It's this huge undertaking. Uh, they, it's funny to me that they talk about King Kong, a movie that I feel like not as many people talk about and isn't as revered. They talk about it like King Kong never could have happened if it wasn't for Lord of the Rings. Like because of Lord of the Rings, we were able to do all the things we did on King Kong from a perspective of like effects and like model work and stuff, which is surprising to me. Because to look at King Kong, I would have thought it was much more CG yeah. than than practical. I'm, I'm very surprised to hear you say that. I couldn't think of anything I saw in there that I would be like, oh, there's the miniature. Yeah, I mean, just like the that um, like the wall with like that crazy bridge thing that they lower Andero uh-huh. down on. Yeah, like that's a miniature. That wall. That's I never would have guessed that. I would have no. thought it was like a CG. With like a physical her on that bridge thing being lowered and then like green screened in. Oh. And then like um like the the Brontosaurus chase, like through that canyon, mm-hmm. never would have thought that was an actual set. No, the canyon. But it's like is? Yeah, the canyon, what they did apparently is they took the animatic and they used that as the basis for where the characters were gonna be running. And so not to get too technical, but um, since I just watched the documentary and I'm now a scholar on the subject, <laughs> um, like to make sure that the brontosauruses, like the CG brontosauruses in the uh, the animatic would like actually step on the ground, like the the miniature had to be so accurate to match what was in the animatic that they actually used like some kind of software and a computer cutter to cut foam to match the exact elevation of like the computer previs graphics so that they could have like a physical set like a physical miniature set for the cg dinosaurs to run through and it wouldn't look like the dinosaur's feet were like going through the ground or like not hitting the ground like why even do a physical miniature set at that point if it's going to be all that extra work but apparently tons of stuff in this movie was physical that i never would have guessed i gotta watch that behind the scenes yeah, I mean, it goes to show that the special effects in general in this movie are actually mind-blowingly good. But the things that you're looking at and you know, like, that ape is CG, like, 
there, there, you know, it, it definitely didn't hold up as well as I expected it to. But again, mm-hmm. it has been 13, 13 years. years. Yeah. I think just for me, again, like, old, you know, going back to like the love of practical stuff and like even like this episode with like how good Mighty Joe Young looked in those mm-hmm. real environments. Same, same thing you said. It's like it's kind of crazy to think that that holds up better. But just in my eyes, it does. Yeah, it just it's a it's better looking. Yeah, just like a, the the simple fact of the matter is though it's like tough to compare because of course uh, King Kong, it was so much more ambitious than yeah. Mighty Joe Young was. Right. I mean, yeah. But, if you tried to, if you tried to make King Kong the same way they did Mighty Joe Young, it wouldn't nearly be the same movie. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's the trade off. I get it. Yeah. Uh, let's really quickly do a little rapid fire on the cast here. What do you think mm. of Naomi Watts? Uh, she's good. You know, she, yeah. she plays it well. She's, you know, it's believable, like the connection with her, with Agent Brody and King Kong, you mm-hmm. know, she sells it. Yeah, I think she's really good at, like, making the audience care just through her facial expressions about that giant fake ape. Mm-hmm. Um, Jack Black. Um... Maybe kind of take it or leave it. I mean, he sometimes it all depends on the movie. I'm a, I wouldn't even say I'm a Jack Black fan. I guess he's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he doesn't really do anything for me, though. I'll give you that. I think he is perfect for it in the beginning mm-hmm. when it's like him running from the studio people and he's very charismatic and more of a humorous character. When they get to the island and he becomes like scheming mm-hmm. and like he has that thousand yard stare, I do not buy it as much. Yeah. And this is kind of a tragedy. Um, so the woman who, uh, Faye Ray, who played the Andero character in the original King Kong in 1933 was still alive when they were filming, when they were working on this movie Mm -hmm. and they had met with her and they were going to have her do a cameo as a woman in the crowd who said the line, it wasn't the airplanes. It was beauty that killed the beast at the very end. Yeah. But then she died like right before they started filming or while they were filming. And then that role, that line goes to Jack Black and it just does not feel like he should be the one saying it. I was going to say, cause like, like that line, that delivery stands out so much when he says it. It's just like out of place. It just it like, doesn't feel right at all. Of anybody, I mean, I don't, I don't know how you would do it because he is up on the roof with her. But it feels like it would have been a better line for Adrian Brody's character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, almost anyone but Jack Black. Yeah, um, it. I just don't think he pulls it off very well either. But yeah, that's that's just kind of unfortunate. Uh, Adrian Brody. Uh, I like him. I'm, I like Adrian Brody. I think he's fine. Mm-hmm. It was a good role too. It wasn't just like the. The handsome do-gooder, you yeah. know, movie star, which Kyle Chandler plays, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think he's got range and everything. I like his, I like everything about Adrian Brody. Yeah, yeah, I like his turn as a character. You wouldn't expect to be like the hero, but then he is. Yep, he um, plays good. That like, he's like not the most handsome guy ever, but he's got the charisma. Yeah, and I just think like in a role like this. He shines, but yeah. then, like, when he was the lead character in that Predator movie, yeah, where he was supposed to be like replacing uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, that just does not suit. No, he's not no. that kind of an action star. No. In this, he's really good. Yeah, no, this was a good fit for him. Jamie Bell, I know that's a name. I feel like I should know him from more stuff. He was uh, the thing in the shitty new Fantastic Four movie. Oh, 
okay. He was the mocap guy and the voice for Tintin in the Tintin okay. movie. You take it or leave it, really. He didn't do much for me in this movie. I don't mind his performance. I just feel like as long as the movie is... One thing they probably could have dropped was the relationship with him and, like, the second-in-command on the mm-hmm. boat, that the black dude who yep. was, like, in charge of the mission. It's like, just, it's um, ju- they spend an unusual, like, just enough time on that relationship to be unusual, and it never really pays off. Yeah, it's just, it's unnecessary. There's never, like, a big moment where, like, Jamie Bell, after the death of, like, his mentor, uses some lesson that he had been taught by him to save the day or something. It just, it feels odd. It's like the one part of the movie that I really do feel like, you know, the length is what it is, but that could that could go no matter how long the movie is. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, I, that that's pretty much all the big names. You got like Colin Hanks and Kyle yeah. Chandler in there. Props to Andy Serkis. I love Andy yeah. Serkis as an actor, mm-hmm. you know, and he plays a, a lumpy. Was <laughs> yeah, great He's name. He's got that weird eye, you know, mm-hmm. just this whole thing. He's great. Just the perfect kind of character for this movie, mm-hmm. like being a throwback to like classic film. Oh, and yeah. Oh, definitely. Like an old... Just him as like the surly, um, the cook on the the sh- on the boat, <laughs> right. and just like his look and everything. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, I love him as an actor too. I think he's an amazing character actor. That's why I like. I think he's amazing in a pretty insignificant role in the Marvel universe as uh, Claw. Oh yeah. Um, just his look and the things he'll put into a role that the average actor wouldn't, I really mm-hmm. like. And then, I mean, what the fuck can you say about him as a motion capture artist? Yeah, I mean, he's, I mean, he needs the Lifetime Achievement Award, you know? Yeah. Uh, one of these days, I mean, between this and between Gollum and between Caesar yeah. and the Planet of the Apes movies... Mm-hmm. I know there's been a lot of debate about like what exactly how you would compare that to actual quote unquote acting and yeah. like whether it deserves its own the category at the Academy Awards or something. But the guy is not getting the credit no. on some level that he so obviously deserves I, I as think... being like the trendsetter and the shooting star right. of this like, I don't know, subgenre of acting. <laughs> I think it will take some time. But he'll get the recognition. Yeah. Maybe when they it's look back s- and like there's so much more mocap mm-hmm. in the future, which it probably will be. And it will it's look just going to suck if he gets like a like he's 78 years old mm. and then he gets like the Lifetime Achievement on the Academy Awards. And it's like, this is good enough for yeah. you. True. I mean, sure. But yeah, yeah he's just he's so good. He's um, just, it's it's cool to see that he, he does like the mocap, but then like this in Black Panther. Like he can just be on screen and be entertaining. Yeah, like I said, I think he is a great character actor. Yeah, for sure. Um I feel like there's fewer and fewer people who really fit that role these days and he's just one of them. Mhm. I'm with you. But uh yeah, I mean like I said before I I've always liked this movie. Mm-hmm. I still like it. Yep. I kind of feel like because of and this may just be me projecting or something, but I feel like this movie doesn't get a lot of love uh, in at least like the last 10 years, but I I'm always waiting for the other shoe to drop and like me to watch the movie and finally be like, Oh yeah, now I get what people mean. Hmm. I I definitely feel like this is a movie that most people will watch one time and that's it. Yeah. Like they've seen it and now they never want to watch it again because it's long and Mm -hmm. 
I don't know, but maybe again, maybe that's just me projecting. I, I don't know, but I still like it a lot. I mean, I, this is still a fun movie for sure. Yeah, you know, from a guy that clearly loves the source material. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you'll have to watch that uh, documentary oh, feature yeah. that I was talking about. Uh, hearing what they were planning to do back in 1996 or 97. It would have been an interesting movie because it was very different. Like this feels like a an adaptation or like a retelling of the original King Kong film with added elements. Yeah. The version that they were apparently working on in the 90s felt like they even compare it and show footage in um in the documentary. They compare it to like what the Mummy movie did in the 90s. Oh boy. Like taking it, making it more goofy and over the top and like just pumping everything up to 11. Okay. Which this movie does at times, but this definitely still feels like more of a love letter to classic cinema than like, we're going to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. This is uh, curious to see what that would have been like. Yeah. But yeah, this is like as, as subdued as you could say this movie is, it isn't, you know, it is in that regard Mm -hmm. for sure. But, uh, yeah, anything else to add yeah. about uh, P- PJ's King I, Kong? I believe that covers it. The uh, Well, enough. you know, I will say one last thing. The CG New York, like, entire city that they create <laughs> for the final act yeah. is impressive as all hell. Oh, yeah. For sure. For sure. Because they have to, like, there there ain't no hiding it. No. Like, it's all, like, high angles and... High angles, sunny, like, sundown mm-hmm. or whatever. Or sunrise. Sunrise? Yeah, sunrise. So, yeah, sunrise. So impressive stuff, man. Yeah. Um, so now it's time to do the hardest part of the show, and that's deciding uh, what to buy, what to borrow, and what to burn. I uh, propose something. Yes. I'd like to start with the borrow from both okay. of us. Does that mean you have a specific borrow ready to go, locked and loaded? I do. Okay. I personally, my borrow pick is Mighty Joe Young. Really? I think uh, people got to see that it's it's all for the effects. I mean, the story, it is what it is. But I think um, I was so impressed by how good the stuff with Joe looks that that's like kind of like one of those surprising things that come from the show <laughs> that I would want more people to see. Yeah. Uh, so do you want me to give my borrow as well? Please. We're going to go going to go back and forth. I really thought when I was done watching the movies, I was thinking this might be the one where you and I finally match mm-hmm. on like our buy, borrow, and burn. Mm-hmm. You've already thrown that out the window. Nice. <clears throat> My borrow is going to be Congo. Nice. Okay. A movie that uh, it's a it's a hell of a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. It um, I just love watching it. Um, I feel like I view it in a better light than most people, but uh, definitely I think it deserves a second chance in a certain context from a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. I like it. Okay. What do you want to do next? Well, I'll just say what my my burn is followed immediately by my uh, buy. Okay. Call me crazy, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you're going to do it. Burning King Kong, buying Congo. Wow. <laughs> now, this my three is certainly dictated by the borrow 
pick for Joe. Uh huh. Um, because once that's out of the way, you have to burn one. Kind of, two. yeah. And it's just I feel like this is totally based on just this past weekend when I watched all three. I just had that much more fun watching Congo. And yeah. It's ridiculousness and it's practical effects and not even again, not so much even the nostalgia thing, because what I I barely remembered and I still think it was like new things to me that I enjoyed this time mm-hmm. that um, I just had fun. And it sucks because this is like a tough one where in the past episodes we've had like easy like, oh, burn that piece of shit. <laughs> I mean, Kong is tough. King Kong's tough to say. Bird. I mean, I feel like many, many people would tell me I'm crazy, but it is what it is. But many, many people probably haven't seen Congo or Mighty Joe right. Young. I mean, these are three entertaining movies. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, this is the game, baby. You got to burn one of them. <laughs> hey, I love it. Um, yeah. I feel like there's been a couple of times on this show already in the the previous five episodes yeah. where I've even surprised myself with what I chose as mm-hmm. my buy. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, I'm watching, you know, there's there's lots of great moments in King Kong where you just like like fist pumping kind of stuff like, yeah, but for whatever reason, I'm watching Congo and L- Laura Linney, she's like she's constructing this uh laser gun out of like a PDA <laughs> and some batteries. Oh, yeah. And it's like dude's just like, "Oh, what are we going to do about these monkeys?" She's just like, "Put them on the endangered species list." <laughs> And she starts <laughs> that is great. cutting them in half, blowing their arms off. Great, I'm, that just like, moment. I'm just like, fuck yeah, Congo, baby. Yeah, it's great in that moment when all of a sudden she feels like a fucking, like a Sarah Connor yeah, or something. Dude, what just, a great line, too. I mean, oh, it's the perfect line, perfect delivery. And it just immediately starts maiming those gorillas. Yeah, just like cutting through them yeah. with a laser. That is awesome. I can't believe we didn't mention that before. <laughs> yeah. I know I forgot until I was leading up to my ridiculous picks. And it's like, it's just that movie gave me such a smile on my face watching it that, you know, hey, it is what it is. It be what it be. Well, I'll say that my, you know, Congo is my borrow and King Kong is going to be my buy. It was more of a toss up between the two of them than I expected. Cause like I said, I've always liked both of them, but mm-hmm. like, I didn't think it would be as close as it even was. Mighty Joe Young was the clear loser for me just because while I agree I was really impressed by some of the special effects, like even, you know, it's Bill Paxton, love him. Mm-hmm. Um, not my favorite performance from him in this. He's just a little too, like, simple, all shucks kind of character. Yeah, yeah. Where he didn't, like, super ring yeah. true with me. This is no twister for Bill Paxton. <laughs> yeah, absolutely not. And, yeah, at the end of the day, it's just, uh, I... Like like I said earlier, like it doesn't stand out in my mind as much even a couple days later, mm-hmm. um, like where the time went in that movie. Yeah. It was enjoyable. It was fine. But uh, whereas Congo and King Kong, I will definitely go back to. Yeah. I would buy and borrow them. I feel like uh, the one viewing of uh, Mighty Joe Young is probably going to be enough for me. And then King Kong, I mean, I loved my experience of rewatching Congo enough that I probably could have put it in the the buy spot mm-hmm. but um like in addition to just like you know there is a lot of good effects and stuff in this movie in in king kong some really good performances i'll admit uh get a little get a little choked up at times Ooh. in this movie it gets a little dusty right. in the old screening room hey cutting onions yeah um 
just some of the looks that Kong and Andero give each other. And mm-hmm. I can't, um, again, I can't knock it. You know, still yeah. entertaining as all hell movie. I'm like you mentioned earlier, though. I kind of feel like one of those people were like, uh, I, I don't see myself sitting through King Kong again. Yeah, I feel like I've gotten from it all it has to offer. For me. I feel like that's a big sticking point. A sticking point for a lot of people. Yeah, I just feel, and again, it would be like Mighty Joe Young. Like I could see, like either me, either me, either telling uh, like another movie aficionado that likes that kind of stuff. Like, dude, you gotta see these effects in Mighty Joe Young, or mm-hmm. me, even just you know, I wouldn't mind seeing that again just for that, even if it's yeah. a fast forward to the good stuff. I will agree that is the best stuff in that movie. Yeah. But uh, at the end of the day, there wasn't as much else that I, made me. Again, would agree with you on that. It's nothing in the story to department does it for me on that, but yeah. just as far as like that that movie watching experience and being like literally blown away somehow by Mighty Joe Young, I was. <laughs> that's fame, man. Maybe. Fair enough. That's, that's... We'll match up one of these days. It just <laughs> didn't happen days. to be this one. <laughs> um. All right, you want to do the old uh, oh. the old random number generator mambo and find out what we're watching next? Yes, please. Uh, at the current time, we have 120 different themes chosen, so... Here we go. Let's pick one of those. Ooh, high number. Mm. 91. 91 is going to be... Role Models. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this will make so oh. much more sense when you hear the episode. Yes. <laughs> This is there's definitely one movie I've I will tell you right now without giving any hints I've seen all three of these before as have I there's definitely one movie out of these three that I for sure thought I would never watch again <laughs> perfect but fate had something else in store for me perfect I mean I I'll tell you right now I don't know where I'm falling on any of these I'd be very surprised if we come out with the same three picks uh, I I cannot even speculate yeah, at this time. Either. But if it's this one, I'd be I'd be ecstatic. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. Uh, only time will tell. Yeah, baby. So yeah, episode seven of Triple Threat Theater. We will be discussing three films linked by the common theme of role models mm-hmm. in some way or another. Get ready. <laughs> I got to prepare myself, Mm -hmm. mind, body, and soul for one of these. (laughs) Yes. All right, baby. With that, this is episode six. I'm Joe Daxberger. I'm Ryan Miller. Thanks for watching. That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy. Be happy. Be happy. Be happy.